Uh, would you join me? Uh, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter number 4. Is that somebody else's uh, conglomeration of songs? Okay, yeah. I don't know how that happened. I don't know if that was one of those 4 a.m. wake up, quick grab a pad. I think I, <laughs> yeah, that's how that usually happens. <clears throat> that's when you learn to keep a pad and pen beside the bed. You ever had one of those dreams and you just had such clarity and some of you in the business world, you had like a business model, you, you're going to hit it big and it was just so brilliant and maybe you did write it down and you went back to bed and you woke up the next day and what you wrote down was the stupidest idea that has ever been. <laughs> it happens. Sometimes some brilliant things comes out of our, our nighttime. So Matthew chapter 4 today, this I think will be our last time in this chapter uh, going through Matthew Guys, I got to tell you, um, I had no idea we would be doing six messages out of this, just 25 verses, but uh, there's a lot of variety in this chapter, as those of you that have been here for each of those. So last week was Easter, we stepped away from the book of Matthew, and today we return. Uh, we're going to read the last nine verses, and our focus today will be on verses 17 and then 23 to 25, so four verses will have our attention today. And that'll uh, kick us off for next week. Lord willing, we're planning to begin the Sermon on the Mount, and that's chapters 5, 6, 7. All right, so everybody's there. I want to encourage you. We're not going to do a lot of moving around in other passages. There'll be two or three. We'll go over and quickly come back. So you may want to leave a marker here and hopefully have a copy of the Word in front of you on your phone, tablet, in your uh, leather Bible if you're like me. Uh, because they'll not always be on the screen, and we'll be referring to these. Verse number 17, okay? Verse 17, uh, I guess before I read these, this verse, we need to qualify. Jesus is at a phase of ministry where he hears that John the Baptist was put in, in prison by Herod Antipas. And so that becomes one of the factors that leads Jesus north to Galilee. So Jesus does not end up doing the bulk of his ministry in Judea and Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the capital city, Judea region. He doesn't do the bulk of his ministry in Samaria, where the half Jews, half Gentiles are. But he does the bulk of his ministry up in Galilee, and that was predicted 700 years previously by Isaiah, uh, the prophet. And so this was very important uh, that location matters, and that's where Jesus did his ministry. So look at verse 17 through 25. Here we go. From that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. And so Jesus' main message is really about one concept, repent. If we were back in that time period and Jesus were here preaching today, his message would ultimately arrive at repentance. And if he were to go to another town and another message there, his message would ultimately arrive at repentance. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we haven't really looked at that, so we'll end there today. Verse 18 to 22, we have looked at, so let's review it by reading. So we're moving forward in time. Here's an incident. Matthew gives only the highlights. Luke bears it out more. Here's the highlight. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, it's actually a freshwater lake, 
while walking by the Sea of Galilee. Galilee is this region about 60 miles long, about 40 miles wide. He saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, Simon Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So he sees these two brothers. They're casting a net into the sea. Why are they doing that? For they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. So they're casting a net. Hey, you two brothers, Peter and Andrew, follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. You're fishing for fish? Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And I was really struck a few weeks ago when we spoke on this by this next word. Immediately. Why would anybody do this? Because they were disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist had told them, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. They believed John the Baptist. And so here comes this one who's the Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He calls them. So verse 20, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. He saw them in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, their fishermen. And he called them. Same thing. And they have the same exact response. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. And in today's text. Very general, broad statements, not specifics here. And he went throughout all Galilee. That doesn't mean he literally hit every part of Galilee, every person. Doesn't mean he encountered all two million plus people in this 60 by 40 region. It just means he went all over, all around the various parts, constantly on the move. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. And, so catch it, teaching in their synagogues. And proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. Last week, we called it the best news ever. So what's he doing throughout Galilee? Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So I think the idea there is not just all the diseases that are among the people. So the diseases are among the people, but he is among the people. The fallout from that is verse 24 and 25. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And really that all Syria means all of Palestine and beyond. That's like the broad general statement. It went over over the whole thing. He becomes very famous. And they brought him all the sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Those oppressed by demons. This is reality. It really happens. My ESV Bible here is a little different from this. This is on the screen is a pre-2011 edition of the ESV. Mine says epileptics. What I think you see on the screen is those having seizures. So what's happening here? They're bringing out all the sick, those afflicted, various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures or epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. They're bringing them. He's healing them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, the region of ten cities on the other side of the Jordan River, and from Jerusalem, the capital city, and Judea, the region down south, and from beyond the Jordan, east of the Jordan. And that's our text today. Broad, general statements. So before I launch into some three or four ideas today, I want to do a little bit of a review. So here's what we learn. 
Christ's main ministry was not down in Judea. He does take some trips there. He passes through Samaria. We know he meets with a woman of Samaria, wins her to Christ. Revival breaks out in Sychar, a city in that region. But most of his ministry is up in Galilee. And if you, those of you that have your Bible open, you will not see it on the screen. Verse number 16 says, the people, here's a description of Christ's ministry. Here's the effect of it. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So if we were to say, what was the effect of Christ's ministry in the 60 miles by 40 mile region, over 200 villages, over 2 million people, some say maybe even up to 3 million, I mean really packed in. We could say that result, if you want to summarize it was, it was like light started conquering darkness. What was this darkness? We're reviewing here. Darkness is mankind's mind we're born with that is ignorant, not perceptive, has no clue what the main point of life, what the most important things are in life. It pursues all these other foolish things. They're living in darkness, darkened minds. They have darkened hearts that love sin, and that combination leads to darkened, sinful lives. But Christ comes in like a light, spiritual light, breaks light in on people's lives. And all of a sudden, their darkened, ignorant, unperceptive mind is replaced by an enlightened mind, a perceptive mind to spiritual truth. All of a sudden, their dark, wicked heart that loves sin now loves God. And the result of their dark, wicked, sinful life now is a godly life, not perfect, but a godly life that is moving toward the Lord, that is bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you catch that? Did you catch all of that? The results of Christ's ministry, dark minds replaced by enlightened minds, darkened hearts replaced by loving hearts, darkened sinful lives replaced by godly lives. That is exactly what I would love to see happen in Anderson, South Carolina. And I would love our church to cooperate with all the other churches. Do you know that somewhere in the world there is a, a city, a town, I don't know where it is, they are the most enlightened, most loving, and most godly people they're the most godly city of any around the world. I'd like it to be Anderson. That's our mission statement. That's what we're after. So we've got to ask ourselves, how does that happen? Well, Christ does it. But then we also learned in verse 18 to 22. Now watch this. Christ, here's what we learned there. We're reviewing. Christ calls regular people. Four fishermen. Nothing special of themselves. Christ calls regular people to become his disciples, and once they're his disciples, he trains them to become his partners. We broke that down into a few statements. Here's what we learned. Christ called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Here's what he says. I want your life. I want your life. I know you get one shot at life. I want you to put your one life in my hand. Give it to me. And then I want you to spend your life learning from me. As I'm talking, you're learning, and when I'm talking to you, you're taking it all in. And when I'm talking to other people, you're watching and listening. You're watching what I'm doing. You're learning what I'm doing. You are learning from me. You're learning of me. And then I want you to go everywhere I say go, and I want you to do everything I say do. And these four guys said, okay. And off they went. And we finished that message by making a distinction. There are a lot of folks, and this is awesome. These are great Christians they love God so much. They love meeting with his people to worship the Lord. They love being able to give to the Lord of their resources. And they love hearing God's word. They like to learn about God. But we finished here. Loving the Lord in those ways, having very evident ways of loving God, does not equal being surrendered to the Lord. 
Because at some point, that person needs to hear the call on their life that he wants me to become a fisher of men. All of this is not just about just worship and giving and learning. I'm to take what I've been doing and pouring it into someone else so that they too become a Christian. We learned that 19 out of 20 Christians die having never led someone else to the Lord. Are you in the one or are you in the 19? I hope our folks will be the one out of 20. And that brings us up to today's passage Again, so verse number 17, from that time Jesus began to preach saying, repent. He just began, very broad statement. That does not mean, Jesus one time preached a message on repentance. No, it's a broad general, repeated over and over. He's moving around the 200 plus villages. He goes in here and he speaks there. It's the same kind of message. Wherever he's preaching, it ultimately keeps coming back to that thought. Verse number 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, and healing every disease. So how does the light break out? You just read it. Three ways. So what I want to do this morning is draw out four thoughts from verses 23 to 25, and then back in verse number 17 is where we'll finish this morning. Number one, did you catch it? Jesus ministered to physical needs. Jesus ministered to physical needs. This is an important part of his ministry. It's not the only part. Verse number 23 finishes with, and healed every disease and every affliction among the people. Jesus ministered to people's physical needs. It mattered. Can I just, maybe one person needs to hear this this morning. Do you know that God cares about our body? God cares about your physical body. You may say, I don't think God cares. I'm going to. God cares about the physical body. I'm going to couple this passage. Hold your spot there. I'm going to put one verse on the screen that we actually used in last week's Easter message. And it's Acts chapter 2. Listen to verse number 22. Acts 2.22. This is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. Look what he says to the Jews who've gathered in the temple to hear him speak because they are now speaking in languages they've not studied. God's given them an ability. They think they're drunk. These Jews think, man, these people pouring out of that room are drunk with wine and they're, they're speaking gibberish. And he's going to tell them, no, this is not gibberish. This is that which was spoken by the Holy Spirit of God back in the prophet Joel's writing. And now he's going to preach a gospel message to the Jewish nation. I'm going to hear one verse. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. He's going to tell them, you, God sent his son. God sent you the Messiah. You've been looking for the Christ. God sent him to you, and you crucified him with cruel, wicked hands. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, that's his human name. That's a man of Nazareth. So that separates Jesus from all the other Jesuses that, that existed back then. This Jesus of Nazareth, a man, a t attested to you by God with mighty works, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. God did it through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And they're probably thinking, oh, yeah, I remember. I saw it. Did you ever see him do it? I saw it. In fact, he did this on me, myself. He did that and that. And then Peter's going to say, you ended up crucifying and killing a person that was attested by God. You knew this was a man of God. But you let the leadership talk you into shouting, crucify, crucify. So Matthew gives his version in, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 to 25. Peter gives his version. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, general statement, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. God cares about the body. Here's what I'm going to do. 
I want to couple Matthew's three verses with this one verse of Peter's commentary in Acts chapter 2. And I want us to notice quickly nine things about how Christ ministered to physical needs. Number one, what we learn is these were loving acts of compassion. Jesus, as he ministered to physical needs, they were loving acts of compassion. Can I tell you guys, you know one of the best feelings in the world? I mean, one of the absolute best. Relief. Relief is one of the best feelings. If you've ever had a thorn, and you finally, ah, there. Or something's building, 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 and there's pressure, and all of a sudden, relief. It is one of the best. Notice the words that Matthew uses in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. I want you to hear them. And as you listen, guys, I want you to pretend, let's go back in time, 2,000 years ago. Let's say we were one of these Jewish synagogues. And in comes Christ, and he not only is going to speak and preach and teach, but he's going to end up going through and healing every kind of disease that, um, that is among us. Listen to the words that were in this passage because they tell us something. Listen to the words. Here they are. Disease, affliction, sick, pain. The word pain means torment. Demonic oppression, epilepsy or those having seizures, paralysis, paralytics. Listen, I wouldn't embarrass anybody. You know what occurred to me? Most weeks, most weeks, we're a, little, we're, we're a little different. We have every one of those categories at our church service on most Sundays. Here's the list again. Disease, affliction, sick, pain, which means torment, demonic oppression, those who have seizures, paralysis. And Jesus just comes in and Heals them all. Imagine if he just went right. Anybody over here? Guys, bring them up. And he starts healing. And he starts healing. And he starts healing. That leads to the second thought. These were mighty works. Jesus did mighty works. Now, there's some of the things that Jesus is going to do in the book of Matthew and others that only the person that it happens to, only they will know. But some of the things are so obvious. A leper is cleansed right in front. You can't fake that. A person whose legs have failed, they're they're, they're, they're Paralyzed, They have not been able to walk for a long time. You can tell they're not able to walk. And all of a sudden, they have strong legs. And they're not wobbly. And they're, it's a miracle right before your eyes. No doubt about it. This is not fake. Dead brought back to life. I mean, where their eyes have just been, you know, forced open, just hung open. And someone has to come along and close their eyes. One man, four days dead. His body decomposing. And all of a sudden, he rises and walks again. These are things that would really get people's attention and show, wow, what kind of power does this man have who's among us? Third quick thought. I'm hitting them quickly. They included not only the body, but the soul and the spirit. I'm not wanting to be controversial here, so I hope nobody will write me an email on this. Uh, come up immediately after and give me a speech. I'm going to give my opinion, okay, my opinion. I'm not talking about Alzheimer's. I'm not, not talking about accidents. I'm not talking about born conditions. But I believe that a lot of what we would call modern times mental illnesses, mental conditions, if we could see the unseen, we can't see the unseen, but if we could see the unseen, what's really happening, it's demonic oppression. And Jesus could heal of it. And he did heal people of it. The next thought is this. Jesus' mighty works, they were not just body, they were soul and spirit. They caused people to feel wonder. 
when Peter says that he did mighty works and wonders and signs, it doesn't mean three different things. It means he did miraculous things, miracles, some of them healings. The effect on people was that it left them in wonder. Here's how I want to project that to you. Think of it this way. Here's someone who has a dominant thing in their life. It is the dominant thing of their life. It is there every day. It's those diseases and affliction and pain and torment. It is there all the time. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes through, heals them of it, and it is gone. And they are left in wonderment of this person. Or if you saw him raise someone from the dead or a leper make cleanse right in front of them, And their fingers come back and their ear comes back. And it's like, wow, awe and fear of this being. The next thought is this. They were signs. I'm going to read a verse. It's in John chapter 20. Kind of already alluded to it in Acts chapter 2, but you'll see it again. John chapter 20, verse number 30. So here's another of the disciples. We've heard Peter, what he had to say about it. Matthew was one of the 12, what he had to say about it. John, one of the 12, the youngest of the 12. He's writing his own gospel later, and here's what he writes in verse number 30. Now Jesus did many other signs... In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John writes about eight signs, eight miracles of Jesus. Not 40. There's over 40 in the Gospels. John picks out eight that serve his purpose for writing his book. Here's the verse again. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these eight are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's a sign. How is he able to do that? It's a sign. He is the Christ. Who, which one's the Christ? The one that raises the dead and heals the blind and heals the leper and heals the, heals the, the cripple and heals the death. That's the one. So verse number 30. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And here's a secondary, ultimate reason. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Catch that connection. Jesus did these things as an indication of who he was, ultimately leading, hopefully, the goal Faith in him so that you have eternal life. A few more. Jesus ministered to physical needs. How? His deeds were done among the people. Matthew alludes to it. And maybe, guys, maybe it just means that he ministered to all the different diseases that were among the people. Or, But I, here's what I know. Peter in Acts 2 puts it this way, that God did these mighty works in the midst of you. That's important. Jeff, what's your thought? There's no trickery. We're not talking about the 1800s and 1900s where somebody rides into town, sets up a tent, has a stage over there, and calls a few select people that are plants to come up to the stage, and they get healed of this and that and the other, just like they were the week before in another town, and we want to take up an offering, and everybody's impressed with this supposed healer. That is not what we're talking about. This was done among the people. Uh, years ago, so I've been to two of these. There's one in Gatlinburg and there's one in Myrtle Beach. And I think there's one in Branson, Missouri. But I've been in the, the one in Gatlinburg and the one in Myrtle Beach. And that's this Dixie Stampede. You guys, so um, Dolly Parton has these things. So she's got the theme park and then she's got the rodeo show. So I'm at the rodeo show and I won't go into all of it. Let's just say she had me, they had me really confused one night because they brought out these three wagons, got a horse. And they've got the MC guy, and in the, in the, in the wagon, they've got the guy, they've got the horse up there, and then the driver. And then back here in the cargo area is this barrel, and each one of them has identical-looking barrels. 
and they say, hey, we need a volunteer. And so I'm sitting up here, and I don't want to volunteer. So finally, like, oh, yeah, right over there. And a lady from my left ends up running around, and she comes down to the steps, and she's got blonde hair and has a red dress on. And she goes down and says, get in one of the barrels. And they go, and she gets inside. You see her climb into one of the barrels. All right, we're going to maneuver the horses around. And they got like a little clown, and he's trying to you know, show up the MC guy. The MC guy's smart, and the clown's the goofy guy. Well, I bet I can hide this woman, and you won't be able to tell which wagon she's in. Yeah, right. What do you take me for? Move the wagons. And so this wagon moves around here, and that one. They're not, it's not hard. You saw her go in that one. That one moves up here. All right, is she in number one, two, or three? And the MC's like, really? He says, she's up in number one. She was in the third spot. They moved around. She's now up in the first spot. And they move, the, they move the barrel, you see through, it's empty, she pops up out of this one. Like, I'm bugged by that. How'd they do that? And the clown's like, double or nothing. Yeah, okay, yeah, double or nothing. I'll get it right this time, and it's all a big show. And they move it around again, and I know she's in that one. And they move her over here, and they move her around, and she ends up back in the middle. Like, she's number two. No, she's not number two. They turn it, she's not there, she pops up, drove me crazy. I think I know what happened. And when it's done, she comes and she runs around and runs back down through. But I think I saw a wig. I'm 99% sure I saw a wig, and I'm pretty sure I know what happened. There was a lady in each of them, and the volunteer is the plant. And if I were down there among them, and can I see what's under this compartment? No, 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 you stay up there in the stands, right? So when Jesus does his miracles, it is not... We're over here and you stay over there. Guys, he's among the people, touching them, being touched, healing people. Very quickly. When he ministered to physical needs, they were complete. They were complete. Not partial. Not progressive. Because these are men of God, they will not be offended at my next statement. Jesus was not so much a physician. Jesus was a healer. Big difference. Jesus was not ahead of his time. He knows some science that they're not going to discover for a few more years. And he's going to wow people and do things that no one else can do. No, Jesus was a healer. Next thought. They were universal. His, what we're going to find is his miracles were universal, meaning no one was ever turned away. No one comes up and like, no, you were too sinful. You stay away from me. You'll defile me. Or what do you want me to do? Well, I've got this. Oh, I can't do that. Man, you're going to make, get to the back of the line. Go back. I can't do that. No one was ever turned away. By the way, here's the other one. Man, it just didn't work for you. Why? Because your, what? Your faith was not strong enough. No one ever was told that by Jesus. Why? The power resided in Jesus, not in their faith. It was universal. And lastly, as we learn from Matthew, these things work to make Jesus very famous and very desirable. People wanted Christ. He's coming to our town. We're going to follow him around. Huge crowds are following the Lord. So we learn, number one, that Christ ministered to physical needs. Number two. This comes out of verse number 23. Jesus taught people's minds. Jesus taught people. So he ministered to physical needs. Jesus taught people's minds. Verse number 23. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. I'm going to propose to you. Christ is a healer. Christ is a teacher. The greatest teacher of all time. When we're talking about synagogues, I know how we may think synagogue is a building, and that could be the case. But I want you to think more like how we want to think of our church. 
less of a building, less of a location at 120 Centerville Road. If you're watching online and want to join us, come next week. Less of that, not, not about a building, it's a community of people. A synagogue is a community. They may have a building. They may not have a building. They may meet at a certain location. They may meet some on Thursday. They may meet on Tuesday. They always meet on Saturday. Watch. Here's their service. They would always have prayers. They would always read some from the first five books of the Bible out of the law. Why? Because people didn't have a copy of the Word of God. They didn't have the New Testament. It didn't exist. They were living in that time. So they have what we call the Old Testament. They would always have prayers. They would always have a section read out of the law. And they would always have some reading out of called the prophets. And then they have another section of the Hebrew Bible called the writings. And so sometimes they would do that. Always prophets, always the, right, the law. First five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, always some out of the prophets. And then there would be a select passage, and a teacher would get up and teach. Here's the key. If someone was deemed to be a respectable, respected, adequate, capable, maybe very learned teacher, and they come into the synagogue, and the leadership realized it, they would let them teach. That's what Jesus did. Jesus found synagogues to be very fruitful ministry ground. And I believe this is why. Because of all the people in Galilee, those that were the most open to the Lord were those who were already meeting together at the faith family and the community of a synagogue. And so Christ would come in and teach them. And the way they would teach, this is key, different from the Greeks, the Jews did real Bible teaching. The Greeks would meet down at the city gates, throw out a topic. You give your idea, you give your idea. We ask some questions, we discuss it, we debate it, start formulating some ideas, bring in what we've heard from around the world, and we may may or may not arrive at some truth, and we'll just kind of bat it around. And they may have some schools that they do the same thing. Lots of discussion, lots of questions. That's not what the synagogues did. The synagogues would take a passage of Scripture. It was seen as authoritative, and then they would teach that, as truth. So it was always based on a specific Old Testament passage. So, verse number 23. He healed, but he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Christ constantly appealing to people's minds, teaching. So, if you want to write this down, what is teaching? I'm going to offer the following definition. Here we go. Teaching is the ability to understand, watch this, For yourself, understand, and then arrange or organize, and then explain the meaning and the significance of biblical truth in a way that is understandable by the hearer. That was a long definition. Here it is again. Teaching is the ability to understand for yourself and then arrange it, organize the thoughts, And then explain it in such a way that it reveals the meaning of a biblical text and the significance of a biblical text in a way that the hearers could actually understand. Great teaching is not when people walk away and go, I don't know what in the world he said, but it sure sounded fancy. That's bad teaching. That is not a gift of teaching. Christ is the greatest teacher of all time because he could do that. I remember almost three years ago, two and a half years ago, I started pastoring here. And I'm going to guess about three months, two months after I was teaching, preaching, uh, someone made a comment. They meant it derogatorily. They're not here now. 
and they basically said, your messages are kind of like being in a classroom. So let me say it this way. Bible teaching should not only affect the mind. It should go further than speaking to the mind. But Bible teaching, at some point, effective ministry had better reach the mind. It had better reach the mind. Why? Let me give you one example. We tell people that the way you go to heaven, the way you receive eternal life is by grace through faith. Watch this. Faith is faith in something. It's not faith in nothing. So I hope you never come to grace for you and hear salvation, eternal life is by faith. So I'm going to heaven. Great. How do you know you're going to heaven? I believe. What do you believe? I believe I'm going to heaven. That's it. I believe you said we're saved by faith. I believe. If that is you, you're on your way to hell. Faith is faith in something. Listen, content matters. Truth matters. That you understand this comment, this content matters greatly. It matters. You say, what do you mean? There are certain facts to be born again. You need to have understanding of those things. You need to believe content, truth. Like what? Let me throw out where I'm going to end. You hear me say it all the time. Hear it again. God is holy. God is so holy, he cannot tolerate our sin. Don't let this roll off. This is what we must understand. God is not only holy, he can't tolerate our sin. You can't go to heaven as you are. God is also just. He cannot just overlook our sin. I don't like it. Tell you what, they'll have to live over there. I'll live in heaven. They can't come with me. They'll go to a lesser heaven. No, God has to punish sin because he's a just God. But watch, God is not only holy and just, God is loving. And here's the key. Jesus is the greatest expression of the love of God because God sent his son to die on a cross taking our sins. So we learn that God really is holy. He wants to do away with our sin, which is what Christ does. How? By being punished for our sin. So God's justice is satisfied. How? Through the greatest expression of his love, the Lord Jesus Christ. Put all of that together and that lets God be gracious. So he gives away salvation as a free gift. Just like we saw those two people that in this service literally didn't move. What they do, they believed in their heart. They received. They heard God give salvation for free. Jesus, the great expression of the love of God, makes it possible for him to give away salvation for free. Now, you put your faith in that, you're going to go to heaven. Faith is faith in truth, in content. Content matters. I've said it now three times. You want to write it down. Jesus is the greatest teacher ever. Why? Because of who he is. Jesus, because he is God the Son, I'm going to give you two thoughts here. Because Jesus is God the Son, he's going to have insight into the meaning of what we call the Old Testament that the rabbis of his day and all previous to him never saw. We're going to start seeing it in chapter 5, 6, and 7. People are going to finish chapter 7 being astounded by the teaching of Jesus because he, because he taught as one that has authority. 
You don't teach like the rabbis. Why? They're not God the Son. He has insight into the true meaning of what we call the Old Testament. And second reason Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time is because as God the Son, here's key, watch, anything he ever says is the Word of God. Anything he ever says. You find out he says something, that's the Word of God. Because he is God. He's the greatest teacher. Now, let me stop teaching just for a moment. You're like, what you going to start doing? Healing? No, I'm not going to start healing. I don't have that ability unless God were to give it to me. He could do that. He hasn't chosen to yet. So I'm going to move over into where I will end. Here's my thought. Catch it. Please listen. Don't read Matthew chapter 4 with this idea. That's a great commentary on the three things that Jesus did to bring light into Galilee. Oh, Jesus was a teacher. Okay, Jesus was a teacher. Don't look at it that way. Watch. The book of Matthew will finish with Jesus telling his apostles to go take the good news, the gospel, all around the world, making converts. And then once you've made those converts, you apostles, teach them, teach them. But Lord, you're the teacher. But when I go away... I'll come in you, my Holy Spirit, and I'll give you understanding of the Scriptures and what you've been hearing me teach. Fellas, you'll become the teachers. You'll make converts, and then you teach them to observe all of my commands. All of my commands. So these guys are going to make converts, get them baptized. They're going to, the, the apostles are now the teachers. And then the last thing that they're no doubt going to teach these people as they're teaching them to observe to do all the things that Christ commanded that's going to include the last command. Now you go make converts, and then you become the teachers, teaching them to observe the commands of the Lord. Make sure that you tell them that they need to become teachers who make converts, who become teachers, who make converts, who become teachers, and on down the line. So here's my point. Every Christian, every Christian, every Christian in here, every Christian around the world needs to strive to become a teacher of the Word of God. Every Christian. Well, that's not my thing. I'm more in the physical realm. Every Christian needs, why? In obedience to the Lord's command. Make disciples, teaching them. Make disciples, it has been taught to you. Now you go make disciples and teach them. David Platt words it this way. I always find it convicting. Are you going to be a receiver? Or are you going to be a reproducer? A receiver, here's the message, what's this about? And by the way, this is good, this is good. Oh, I need this message, I'm going to really listen today. I could use that. But when the message in their life is not perceived as being needed, they kind of zone out. A reproducer says, I need this message. Or another time, this one isn't so much for me right now, but I'm really going to learn it. I might need it later, or... I know someone, I'm going to teach them this. I'm going to be a teacher. Though I'm going to take what's being learned and I'm going to pass it on to someone else. I'm going to become a teacher. So I want to invite you, every Christian, listen intently. When you're hearing teaching and preaching, not just from me, whoever it is, if it's Bible teaching, really listen. I owe so much to Charlie Rice. We were at a little church, maybe 35. Big Sunday would be 50 people. But he just taught the same no matter if it was 25 or 50 or a gust of 60. 
And me and about three other pastors were there listening. And though he's gone on to be with the Lord, we're still teaching what he taught us. We listened intently. Listen. Listen to receive for yourself. Listen to put what's being taught into your life. And then listen to pass it on to someone else. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Surrender to put it in your life. And then, Lord, so I can pass it on to someone else. Meditate on the scripture to put it in your life and to pass it on for someone else. Before I leave this point, I'm going to ask you just a quick question. There's somebody here, you'd say, oh, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Some of you'd say, I've been a Christian for 10 years or 5 years. Listen, wherever you're at. If you've been a Christian over a year and a half. If I said, raise your hand if you, if you know you're on your way to heaven. You are truly a Christian. Don't raise your hand now. But if I did, and you raised your hand, and I said, when did you become a Christian? We saw these dates with the baptismal candidates, and you say, oh, mine was 1963. Here's my question. Can you tell someone how to go to heaven? If it all depended on what you said in a one-hour car ride, they're not on their way to heaven, you're going to have a conversation. They're going to flat out ask you how to be saved. Could you teach them how to go to heaven? If you're sitting there saying, well, I don't really know. Uh, I just told you a while ago. If you listen, I just told you how to go to heaven. You've heard it many times, but have you ever engaged? Like, you know what? I need to know this. I need to pass this on. Could you as a Christian, you've been saved three years or more, could you tell another brand new Christian how to pray? What would you tell them? How to pray? Well, well just, you know, just pray. Oh, okay, thanks for the insight. How do you pray? Oh, uh, could you, Christian, could you tell another new Christian how to know God as a person, how to study the Bible? Or you'd be like, oh, no, I don't study the Bible. You're supposed to be coming a teacher. Don't be the 19, be the one. That will change your engagement. That will totally change the way you listen. I'm going to pass this on. Very quickly, number three. So out of Matthew chapter 4, third thought, I want to give you, by the way, I am inserting this thought. It's not so much in the text. It's coming. All right? This one I'm inserting now. And you let the Holy Spirit say if it's accurate or not. And I don't want to offend anyone, though I might offend someone in this thought. But I'm going to throw it out. Here we go. Not only did Jesus minister to physical needs and Jesus taught people's minds, but Jesus modeled a balanced ministry. Jesus modeled a balanced ministry. I'm going to throw it out to you. Here we go. So verse number 23, look at it again. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. You already know where we're going for our fourth point. You already know where we're going. Verse number 17, verse number 23 at the end. What I'm going to propose to you is that those are very broad, general statements. Broad, general statements, no real specifics. But later on, as we go through the book, we're going to find very specific miracles, very specific healings. What's the purpose? Oh, to help people. True. But his miracles and his healing, I'm going to propose to you as we go through, they're always attached, the specific things are attached to his teaching. So the miracles, we could say, are to get people's attention, to draw them in so that they will listen to his teaching, which we just talked about. But his teaching doesn't stop. Ultimately, the teaching is to lead to his preaching. He's going to call people to action. So he's going to get their attention with his power. Now that you've seen that, you want to listen? I'm listening to you. Whatever you say, I'm listening to you. He's going to teach them, and then ultimately he's going to preach to them. Everything is moving along a line. Everything is for a purpose. 
balance ministry. That's the order. Did you catch it? His power, his involvement, often in the physical, so that he can touch the mind, so that he can ultimately call them to a decision. Now, here's what I find I struggle with, and this is where I'm not trying to offend. There are many, many, many people, many around the world, in their heart, they really believe that the church, capital C, all the churches around the world, watch, and each individual church, like Graceview, here's their thought, here's what they believe, the main function of a church is social reform or humanitarian need. Social reform, civil rights, humanitarian needs. They honestly in their heart, this is a lot of people's thought, and some in the church and a lot of people outside of the church, they honestly think the church and churches should use the bulk of their money and the bulk of their man hours to provide housing for poor people, food for poor people, clothing for poor people, and a greater social status for people that are being downtrodden. And that's the main thing the church is about. A lot of people, that's their thought. The church I was at previously, I want to be honest here, at least every two to three weeks someone would come by because they were on a very prominent road. Folks would come by wanting some physical help, be it money or food or clothing, whatever it may be, and I was the guy they got sent to. Well, here's the problem. We only had so much in the budget, and it wasn't unlimited. And I want to tell you, some folks got very offended at sometimes if I was like, we can only do this or we can't do that. And it's like, well, then what do y'all do? They literally, in their mind, they thought of churches as charities. I think some people honestly think the government must give churches money. And in my flesh, I think, I hope it wasn't flesh all the time, every now and then I would be known to like, well, then are you a member of a church? They're getting mad because I'm not giving them $150. Like, well, are you a member of a church? Well, no. I did when I was at such and such and from another town. Okay, were you a giver at that church? Well, No. Where do you think this comes from? Somebody has to do this. You're mad that you're not getting money or whatever it may be. They think that's the church's main function. But here's what I'll propose to you. That's not the model of Scripture. That's not the model of Christ's ministry. You say, well, Jesus went around doing all these wonderful things. Jesus fed people. He absolutely did. But that was not the main function of the church in the book of Acts or in the New Testament. Would you write this down? Jesus was a model of balanced ministry. How? Jesus' ministry always moved toward the spiritual. Always moved toward the spiritual. Why? Hear this. Because the eternal outranks the temporal. The temporal matters. God cares about the body. God cares about physical needs. But the eternal outranks the temporal. The spiritual outranks the physical. But Jeff, Jesus fed 4,000, he fed 5,000. Yes, he did. Watch. He didn't always feed people, and he could have. He didn't always feed people. In John chapter 6, a huge crowd of people followed him after he fed 5,000 people. And all of a sudden, he preached a hard message that is hard for preachers and teachers and commentaries to understand exactly what it was. And he made a hard sermon, and they started going away. In other words, he told them, you're only following me to get food. And they turned and went back. Jesus is constantly moving toward the spiritual. Jeff, you sound kind of hard-hearted. I'm not being hard-hearted. Christ ministered to people's physical needs. Yes, he fed people. Yes, he 
healed people. But that was never an end to itself, and he did not do it all the time. Why did he do it? I'm going to propose this to you. He fed and healed to validate, here it is, who he is, so that they would listen to his teaching, so that ultimately it would lead to his preaching. But Jeff, I disagree. The church, the early church fed the poor. Go with me if you would, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, I think this will be some of the last passages we'll really turn to. Acts chapter 2, would you flip over there? There's a brand new church sprung up. 3,000 believers have just been saved in the city of Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2, look at verse number 42. See what the Bible says. The Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they really devoted. And the fellowship. Did you catch that? New believers devoted themselves, not to everything all around town. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread. And the prayers. What was the result? And all fear. All came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now the apostles are doing many wonders and signs. And they're being validated as the men of God. My real point of this text is verse 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Who are these all? As many as believed. Flip over to chapter number 4. Look at verse number 32. Chapter 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Hey, that's mine. No, they didn't do that. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Watch verse 34. There was not a needy person among them. Now, eventually there would be. And there was starting to be because Christians were being persecuted by the Jews. But the church rallied. Verse 34. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Jeff, the church, fed the poor. Housed the poor, clothed the poor. They did. Believers. Believers. I'm going to sound mean, but I'm pretty sure I'm accurate. And if I'm not, you find the passages and come correct me. But you just don't find in the Scripture where the church has, takes on these huge campaigns to go feed all the poor people in the world and clothe all the poor people of the world and house all the poor people of the world. So, Jeff, let me get this straight. Are you saying that churches should or should not give to physical needs of non-believers? I think churches should use some of their resources to meet needs of non-believers. Yes. Why? It's a great thing. Why? People are hurting all around us. Why? Because we have compassion. Look, they have needs. Why? Because God cares about the body. Why? Because we're supposed to be an extension of the love of the Lord. And if you're hearing this and you're saying, God has really put a desire in my heart to do this for, for those that are just in, in great physical need, then absolutely we should do this. But I'm going to ask you to remember two things. Please remember these two things. Our ultimate goal is to teach truth and then call them to Christ. The ultimate goal. Is not food and clothing when it's cold and housing. Those are wonderful things, and we're, we're, we're good to do that. 
But it shouldn't dominate our budget. It shouldn't be the whole and the main thing that we do. Why? Our ultimate goal is to teach truth, call them to Christ. Can I say the same thing another way? Write this down. I really believe this. Say, Jeff, I have such a burden for their needs. I want to give them relief. The most loving thing, the most loving thing we can give them is spiritual truth for a better eternity. Why? Because spirit outranks physical because all of the investments in the physical is going to pass away. It's very temporary. This version of the physical body, God loves it. We're going to get a glorified body one day and it, not, it will not be relying upon those and it will not sin anymore. But in this life, the spiritual, that's where I want us to put most of our resources and most of our man hours. Yes, doing the other, but not limiting to that. So before I leave that point, can I say this? We don't just give a physical gift so that we can give the gospel. We don't give just so we can give the gospel. You going to listen to my gospel spiel? No? Well, then you're not getting anything. Because I know what some folks do. I've, I've actually experienced it. There are some folks that will go around every church in town and like, yeah, do your thing. You're going to give me money at the end, right? Yeah, we'll give you some money. Okay, you got to hear my spiel. Okay. What do you want me to pray? Oh, yeah, I prayed something like that the other day. I'll pray it again with you. Where's my gas card? Um, we don't just give so they'll hear. But can I say it this way? Giving a physical gift is an opportunity to share the gospel. We don't just give physical gifts so that we can share the gospel like we've earned it. But I will say, the best thing you can do for them is not just giving them a physical gift. It's sharing the gospel. You may not do it every time, but it sure is a good opportunity. They might listen. You say, what if they don't? That's fine. Then give them something and move on. Christ was balanced. Healing led to his teaching, led to his preaching, which takes us back to verse 17. Jesus, number four and lastly, appealed to people's will. Jesus appealed to people's will. And this is a different gear than teaching. Verse number 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, to herald, like a king has sent someone out to go make announcements for the king and the kingdom. Verse number 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. That's the message. It's repeated over and over. Repent, repent, repent. Watch. Jesus is a healer. Jesus is a teacher. But Jesus is a preacher. I don't know the percentage of my messages. It probably varies. The vast majority of my messages are teaching. Why? God uses teaching to implant his truth into sinners. It is urgent. All Christians are called to become teachers. All of us are called to be. That's not my gift. That's fine. Teachers. All of us. Learn the basics. Pray for God to show you. Listen intently. But the call of Christ is using our teaching to implant truth. But ultimately, he also uses his preaching to call people to action. Because preaching calls for a verdict. You can do something physical to get their attention so that it will validate who you are. Like Christ validated his ministry. Ultimately, so that you can teach them some truth. But don't leave them with just truth. Call them to action. Preaching calls for a verdict. I want to be clear. Teaching, please watch. 
Teaching is not less than preaching. They're equal. Preaching is so vital. Please get this. Hear this. Preaching is so important because no one knows that the only way to heaven, the only way to heaven is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, death on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the only way to heaven. No one knows that until someone tells them. I didn't know it. Someone told me. Ed Yeoman told me. 1979. Others tried to tell me before. I didn't really hear it. I really heard it. 1979. The only way to heaven is by faith in Christ. But he went further than giving me information. He called me to do it. He taught and ultimately he preached. Why? Teaching is urgent. But once somebody's been told that Christ, faith in Christ is the only way to heaven, now they have an important decision, a personal decision to make. And here's the decision. By the way, hear me. Somebody here this morning. You've already heard enough that you've heard light. If I stopped right now, you may have walked in here not knowing that the only way to heaven is by understanding certain facts. But now you've heard the only way to heaven is by faith in Christ's death on the cross as sufficient to pay for our sins and we're supposed to believe in him. But once that's been made known to you, you now have a decision to make. Are you going to let pride say, no, I think there's another way to go to heaven? Or are you going to let love of sin say, if I do that, he's going to change my life. I don't want my life changed. I like my sin, and so I'm going to keep it here. Are you going to stay unsaved, or are you going to yield to the Lord and call him to be your Lord and Savior as you put your faith? I'm, I'm, I'm calling you Lord, like these folks in the baptistry today. I'm calling you my Lord. I'm putting my faith and trust. In this gospel that I've heard, this I've heard this teaching, I'm going to do it. So now people have a choice. Preaching exhorts people to do it. All of you Christians, become teachers. Become a teacher. To your kids, person you work beside, to your neighbor, book club you're in, whatever it may be. Guys you go hunting with, guys you go fishing with. Become a teacher. But here's what I'm going to dare you to do. Those of you that are already teachers... Become a preacher, not like what I'm doing today. You don't have to do this. Preaching is just saying, now, did you understand what I taught? Yeah. So do it. What? Call them to obey. You say, that's a little awkward. I'm just barely getting comfortable explaining the Bible, and I'm struggling with that, but I'm starting to do it. Hey, go the next step and preach and call people to obey what you've been teaching. Do it. Here's my thought, guys. You are going to, if you're Christian, you will rule and reign with Christ through eternity. You have authority. Go ahead and start using it in this life. You're going to trust Christ now, right? All they can do is say, no. You're not going to trust Christ? You sure you don't want to? Brother Tyler shared with us, and he shared with me in detail when he was 14 years old, Tyler Johnson, up in Ohio, I think. Is that where you were? This 14-year-old young man led him to the Lord and then steadily led Four or five more boys, a total of six of them in one night. This young man, he was teaching, and he was kind of like, you going to do it? Now, he couldn't make them believe, but he sure offered. 14-year-old boy won six 14-year-old boys to Christ in one night. Hey, Christian, you've been saved 50 years. Are you the 19 that's never won anybody to the Lord? Teach, and then call to action. A commentator by the name of Linsky writes the following. To preach is not to argue. 
So when you're a fisher of men and a soul winner, don't get in arguments and don't run to apologetics. You say, I don't even know what that means. Don't worry about it. If you do know what that means, I've learned all these proofs and evidences and I've got all these arguments and I'm ready to share them. Stop running to apologetics if you don't need to. Watch. To preach is not to argue. It's not to reason, dispute, or convince by intellectual proof. Linsky says, against all of those things, a keen intellect may bring counter-argument. You get into debate. So what is it, Linsky? He says, we simply state the truth which Christ bids us state. And then he says, men either believe the truth or refuse to believe the truth. We have taught here a very simple way to share the gospel. And I know some hear that and say, that's silly, that's stupid, it won't work. Oh, it works. All I would ask you is, have you ever done it? Well, no. I just don't think it'll work. Have you ever done it? Keep it simple. Guys, there is innate power in the gospel. Share it. Teach it. Here's how you go to heaven. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Would you go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'll go to heaven. How do you know that? And let them share. Anything else? And let them share. And if their answer, answer doesn't match the Bible, could I show you what the Bible says? And then teach them. And when you're done, say, would you like to put your faith and trust in Christ? All they can do is say no. It'll never work. It doesn't always work, but it sure works a lot. It worked on me. It worked on many of you. John MacArthur writes the following, and I'll be done in a moment. Jesus' messages, this is my thought, not his yet. Guys, verse 17, Jesus' messages ended with a call to repent call to action here's the action repent John MacArthur writes the following quote talking about Jesus he said he never allowed himself to get sidetracked into economics social issues politics or personal disputes his teaching and preaching Focused entirely on expounding God's word and proclaiming God's kingdom. Verse 23, God's rule. Let me read that again. Jesus never allowed himself to get sidetracked. These are not evil things. They have their place. Just not in the corporate church time. We meet, we're under limited time. Why would we spend our time wasting it on these things? MacArthur says of Christ. He never allowed himself to get sidetracked into economics, social issues, politics, personal disputes. Don't have time for that. Do that over coffee somewhere else. We're busy here doing what? He says his teaching and pre preaching focused entirely on expounding God's word and proclaiming God's kingdom. So much church time is wasted on those things. Last thought, verse 17. Look at it with your eyes. If you have a Bible, sorry, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. So I read that, and I realized, Jeff, just skip that verse, because it's basically almost word for word what chapter 3, verse 2 was of John the Baptist. I'm looking at chapter 3, verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John Baptist preached it. Jeff, you've already preached that message way back in like February, March, probably March. Just move on. But that's the whole point. Christ preached it over and over. Every message. Where did it end up? Repent. So now I'm going to test your listening. He said, you don't need to do that. Repent with us. We were there several weeks ago. We remember that message. Do you? I don't throw around Greek words here. I do this one only because I want us to get particularly the prefix. 
The word repent, Christ says, here's his message, meta noel, meta noel, repent. If he was here today, he would say, if you were in Greek, he would say, meta noel. Meta means, say it, change. Noel has to do with your mind. What's Jesus' message? It's always the same. Wherever he's preaching on, it always comes back to this. Now, based off my teaching, change your mind. And we gave you three things. Jeff, you've already preached this. Normally, I would feel horrible about re-preaching something, but today it's the whole point. It's the whole point. Re-preach this over and over. Change your mind about what? Three things. Sin. It's in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist taught people, you better change your mind about sin. God's going to judge it. If I could say it this way, your sin, you, you need to change your mind if you think, well, I'll do some bad things. Oh, no, no. Your sin is far more offensive to God than you think it is. God is going to have to punish your sin. Your sin will keep you from getting into heaven. You had better change your mind about your sin. Hey, turn from it. Hate it. Sin kills. Why would we love sin? I love sin of myself. When I got saved, Christ started putting something in me that now hates sin. And it causes me to want to turn. People think, what is repentance? It's turning from your sin. Repentance is if you really change your mind about your sin, the result will be that you turn from it. But repentance of its core is in the mind. Hey, really change your mind. Stop loving it. Stop defending it. Stop lessening it and calling it dainty names. What is repentance? Change your mind about yourself. Everybody here this morning, check yourself. If right now you're thinking, I think I can go to heaven, I'm going to heaven because when I was such and such years old, I got baptized or I prayed a prayer or my mom or my daddy is a very important person in a church or I stopped saying bad words and I give money and I try to be a good neighbor. Listen, that is all you. That's what you've done. That is not what Christ has done. You had better repent. You had better change your mind about you because that way of thinking is going to lead you to hell. You better repent. And then the third thought is you better change your mind about the Savior. What does it mean? Here's what Christ is teaching. He's preaching it all the time. I'm the one Savior. In John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4, verse number 12 says, There's none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Only Christ. No other name. Only he is the way. If you think, well, I think there's another way to heaven, you better repent. I have four verses on the screen. You'll see them pop up quickly. Here's the final thoughts. Habakkuk chapter number one. Look at it. Habakkuk's confused. God, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? God, why are you letting the Chaldeans defeat us, Israel? Thought we were your people. And God's like, I'm letting them judge you because you've been wicked. Yes, they are more wicked, but I'm letting them do this. I love you, and I want to bring you and chastise you and bring you back to me. But Habakkuk acknowledges this. God, you're of purer eyes than to, than to just look at sin. Why, God is holy. He cannot tolerate sin. Romans chapter number 6, verse number 23. Look at it. First part. For the wages of sin is death. Sin, your sin comes with a cost. You say, I haven't sinned a lot. If you've ever sinned one time, the wage of sin is death. You're going to be separated from God for, for eternity after you die physically. So there's physical death followed by eternal spiritual second death. 
It's the price. Why? God is a just God. He will punish sin. But look if you would, 1 Peter chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins. What? Christ suffered once. The righteous. So here's the one righteous person in the history of the world. For the unrighteous. All of us. So the righteous is going to suffer for, what does it mean by suffering? Look at the phrase. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. God, hear me. Do you need to repent? God is holy. He cannot tolerate my sin. God is just. He must punish my sin. But God already punished my sin in Christ because he loves me. He sent his son who took all my sin. So that ultimately, Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse number 7 and 8. 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace, and grace means gift. Literally, some, maybe one person, maybe like Heather or Tim, you're sitting here this morning, and this whole ending will be worth it. If one person looks at that verse and says, by grace you've been saved. By grace. So God, do you not give this away for free? Yes, based on 1 Peter 3.18. Christ paid for your sin. That allows Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace you've been saved through faith. Now you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, then you'll pay for your own sin. If you'll believe it, then Christ already paid for all of your sin, even that sin you've not done yet. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Would you bow your head just for a moment? Bow your head just for a moment. Is there even one person? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Raising your hand would not save you. But I wonder, is there one person here this morning or one person watching online and God is speaking to you right now and he is calling you to repent? Here's what I want to do. I want to be used by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. I want to be used by God let him speak through me and say, why don't you go ahead and repent? Why don't you go ahead and change your mind about your sin? God is holy. He cannot have you and your sin into heaven. He must punish your sin. But Christ took all of your sin and he took the punishment. And he died on a cross and he rose again victorious. And God accepted his payment for your sin. And now God says, I'll give you salvation as a free gift if you'll ask me. Here's all you have to do. Confess your sins and call on Christ as Lord and believe. If you'll believe, if you'll hear those words, hear those verses that we just were on the screen. If you'll put your faith in the promises of God about the Son of God, I'll promise you God has to save you. And so I want him to use my voice and call you right now, right where you're sitting. Don't come up to me. I can't pray in a way that saves you. Right where you're sitting, right now. Bring God into focus. Talk to God and just admit, God, right now, do it. Would you do it? God, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And I'm changing my mind about my sin. God, I believe you. I saw these verses. I believe you. I know you will save me if I ask. You're honest. You cannot lie. Talk to God. Here it is. So, Lord, based on your promises, 
I ask you to save me from my sins. I right now receive Jesus as my Lord. I am turning from my sin. And I receive Christ. God, would you save me from my sin? I ask you to be my Lord and Savior right now. I believe you. Father, would you help anyone that's struggling with that? Make yourself real to them. Give them faith. Lord, you know how my thoughts are right now. I've really, in a lot of ways, just not done what I should have in this message. But Lord, I've learned from past experiences, you use our brokenness and our mess-ups, and somehow your Holy Spirit applies truth to people. And so Lord, if someone online or someone here this morning is still struggling then, Lord, let them settle that. God, just invade their world. Invade their world today. Give them the faith. They don't even have the faith. They need you to give it to them. And then, Lord, those that you did give the faith, I pray that you'll give them courage like Tim and Heather to let their faith in Christ be known. Lord, let them go public. Maybe tell me or another person, a family member, that they got saved today. Father, I pray for the Christians in our midst. God, let us be surrendered. Lord, let us become teachers, everyone. And Lord, those that are teaching, let us become preachers in our own small, individual ways, God, to be used of you to call people to obedience in Christ. And then, Lord, let us be investing in people's lives because you care about their bodies, and God, use that as something to validate that we really do care and they should listen to our message. So, Lord, I present to you Grace View Church this morning.